Welcome to the Scope 3 Agenda podcast with EcoVadis. My name is Fergal Byrne. Over the coming months, I'll be interviewing senior business leaders actively working on supply chain decarbonization, reducing Scope 3 emissions in a variety of different industries. We discuss companies' decarbonization journeys, the challenges, their experience and strategies, explore what is working, and identify key lessons and insights. I'm very pleased today to welcome Vanessa Millefels to the Scope 3 Agenda podcast with EcoVadis. Vanessa is VP of Climate and Environment at Schneider Electric. She and her team is responsible to minimize the company's environmental footprint and to ensure the company has a positive impact on the environment. Thank you very much, Vanessa, for joining me today on the Scope 3 Agenda podcast with EcoVadis. Thank you, Virgo, for having me. It's a pleasure to speak with you today. Now, before we dive into the discussion, Vanessa, maybe can you tell us a little bit about your role and the work that you do at Schneider Electric? Yes, absolutely. So I'm VP of Climate and Environment at Schneider Electric. And Schneider Electric is a leading company on digital transformation and energy management and automation. So we develop electrical and software solutions. And really, these solutions are the backbone of the decarbonization of the world. And my team defines Schneider Electric Agenda to minimize our environmental footprint and to support the development of Schneider Electric offers that can have a positive impact on the environment. So whether these offers can help our customers reduce their emissions or reduce other environmental impacts that are not just carbon. Right, very broad ranging. Now, how important would you say scope three decarbonization is at Schneider Electric? And maybe can you tell us a little bit about some of the goals and targets you've set and where you are on this journey at the moment, Vanessa? Good question. Yeah. So scope three, I think for most companies is really almost everything. Uh, So for us, for Schneider Electric, scope three, which are the indirect emissions from our value chain, both upstream and downstream, represent about 99%, I mean, even more, 99.5% of our carbon footprint. The direct emissions from our operations are less than, and the emissions from the electricity operations consume are less than 0.5%. So it's really the most important impact we have on the environment and particularly on climate change. So it was obvious that we needed to set ambitious goals that would not just look at our operations, but also look at our value chain. And not just at our upstream value chain, but also look at our downstream value chain. And it's been a journey. I mean, it's been multi-step taken over time, first focusing on our operations because you have to clean up your own house before you turn around and ask your neighbors or your suppliers to clean up their house or, you know, your electricity providers to clean up the grid. And so that's what we did. But progressively, it became obvious that we needed to engage with a broad ecosystem. And so our full value chain, both our suppliers upstream, and our customers or the grid downstream. So yes, speaking more specifically about targets, we adopted very recently, so we first set science-based target initiatives in 2019, and we just reset them because the science-based target initiative defined what it means to set net zero targets for a company. And this is the first time that we really had a clear definition of what is net zero and how it's different from carbon neutrality, for example. And without that kind of clear understanding of what we're talking about, what's the math equation that's really behind all of this carbon accounting, I think 
we're we're lacking kind of clarity in the rules and kind of in the claims that every company is making. So we really welcome that standard that the SBTI, the Science Based Target Initiative, published in October 2021, and we submitted net zero targets pretty soon after and got them approved last this summer, so uh, summer of 2022. This means we have set net zero target by 2050. And net zero, what is critical is it's reduce, 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 reduce. And then whatever is residual should be removed. And for us, it means reducing 90% by 2050, removing the rest. But we have, of course, intermediary targets. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I suppose the longer term targets uh, are important and within, as you say, the structure of the SBTI and and various other initiatives. How important are medium-term and short-term targets? They're very critical. And SBTI, in fact, is very clear about that, that to to have net zero targets, you need to have short and medium-term targets, not just a long-term target. We had said before SBTI, we had set 2025 targets. These are called the Schneider Sustainability Impact Targets and the Schneider Sustainability Essential targets. It's about 26 KPIs, not just on environment. It's also on human. It's the whole, the full ESG gamut, but a good half is on environmental uh, targets. And then we've set an absolute reduction, emissions reduction by 2030 of 25%. So we have to reduce our emissions, no matter what our growth is, by an absolute 25% by 2030 from a 2021 baseline. And it's it's aggressive. It's hard, but it's what's in line with the, the the Paris Agreement scenarios and a net zero trajectory with SBTI. So interesting to hear the importance of the, the shorter term and the medium term goals, KPIs you're setting. Now, how interested are stakeholders in these goals? And in particular, I'm interested at wondering what what investors response in general is. If you have any, anything to say about how they view these impact metrics? Yeah, that's a Great question. And these impact metrics were defined so two years ago, and we're tracking them on a quarterly basis for the SSI, so the, the impact metrics, and we report them to investors on a quarterly basis uh, as part of our extra financial reporting. So I'd say there's growing and growing interest in those metrics. And there's growing interest from both like, oh, you're setting these KPIs, great, but also how do you calculate them? What exactly are you doing? So you can see that over the last couple of years, the whole investor community is going deeper and is maturing on the topic of sustainability as the whole world is maturing on the topic of sustainability. And that's really encouraging. And I think this is really where we we try to really lead to is lead with transparency because all these KPIs, all of these acronyms, all of this jargon that we have in sustainability, uh, green this, carbon neutral that, net zero, Y and Z. It's very confusing for investors, but whose job is to follow that. But it's even more confusing for customers to understand what exactly is under the hood. And uh, so I think was these SSI, what we've really done is also be very, very clear with our methodologies for any of those and be transparent about any changes we're making in scope as we grow our ambition or as we grow, as, as we, yeah, as we progress in time. These goals are set within a context of a longer time frame, And I'm just wondering, it's been a difficult time for supply chain executives in many industries, various challenges, 
many of which are ongoing. And I'm just wondering about how you balance the longer term sustainability issues like scope three with some of the more shorter and immediate term issues that you have to face with respect to the supply chain. This is definitely a challenge, but sustainability is not a long-term issue. It's a two-day issue. So there's obviously trade-offs, but there's also tremendous opportunities. So we at SET, even before, I guess, some of the more most recent challenges on supply chain related to, to COVID and the, and the war in Ukraine, we had set these KPIs that I mentioned by 2025, these SSE and SSI, and one of them was to engage with our top thousand suppliers to cut their scope one and two emissions by half by 2025. We set that in late 2020. And the other, another KPI we set is to source 50% of green materials by 2025 in our products, starting with steel, plastic, and aluminum. And progressively, we will extend the scope to other raw materials and components such as electronics. And these targets were set. We're reporting on those externally. They're part of our strategy. So it's in everything we do, sustainability is at the core. The good news is obviously sometimes it brings challenges. Sometimes it brings increases in in cost in, in some of these materials or choices, but it also brings greater resilience. When we diversify the supply of materials that we seek for sustainability benefits, it helps build resilience in our supply chain. So at the heart of both, there's also the partnership with suppliers. Whether we work on resilience or whether we work on sustainability, we have to partner with our suppliers. We have to partner with our procurement team to source in a smart way greener goods we're seeking. And obviously there's a lot of there's a, a lot of things we want to improve over time, like us to get clearer on what is a greener good as we work on it with the market. Because today there's not a lot of definition in some uh, in some specific markets, but there it's really like a building these markets. And I think if we can do that with sustainability at heart, at the end of the day, it's going to build greater resilience throughout uh, the supply chain. Yes, yeah, very interesting. And I'd like maybe to touch on that a little later. This question of green materials, many of which indeed are not extant, not existing today. But before we talk about that, I'm just wondering, uh, can you talk a little bit about the balance of upstream and downstream emissions uh, and, and your, your scope-free focus. And you can just tell us a little bit about what you think are some of the different kinds of challenges of upstream versus downstream. Yeah, very good question. So upstream, you know, typically is your supply chain emissions. And so you're, you, we have to work on either designing products differently so that they, they can be built with lower carbon materials or building these markets for lower carbon materials or alternatives. So green steel, for example, if you can't, you know, build something without steel, you have to find alternatives uh, and, and greener steel. And so support the markets for greener steel or incentivize uh, and partner with your suppliers to have them decarbonize uh, their operation in their upstream emissions. So it's it's really, I think, like to think of it. I mean, scope three is always kind of the Russian dolls, the matryoshka. You, you start with one layer and then you kind of go one layer deeper and one layer deeper. And that's that's really what's at the heart of scope three upstream. It's going to be partnership with your suppliers, whether they're tier one, potentially tier two, 
and ideally up to your tier five or six. Obviously for that today, most of companies are lacking the end-to-end traceability uh, on their supply chain and are working on addressing that for sustainability benefits, but for other, uh, bene- for other benefits or for other uh, strategic uh, decisions. Well, with Scope 3 downstream, it really depends industry by industry, but for Schneider Electric, as we sell electrical equipment, it's really the electricity that's consumed by our consumers, uh, whether they're businesses or end consumers. So if you think about a home system, a home electricity system that's power, that has a switchboard by Schneider or whether it's UPSs in a data center, these electrical equipment are going to consume electricity. And that electricity is reported in our scope three downstream. And so here to decarbonize that electricity, it's really either partnering with consumers and making sure that our end consumers are shifting to renewable energy and helping them shift to renewable energy if possible, or is partnering with utilities and the grids of the world, as also the policymakers of the world, to accelerate the decarbonization of the grid so that it matches. Paris Agreement scenarios. Yes, absolutely. You, you mentioned before this question of green components and early stage of development of the, the market of many of these markets. How do you approach that? For example, green steel or green green semiconductors that I, I don't think exist right now. How do you help facilitate the development of these markets? Yeah, that's really tricky. So, and I almost laugh when you say green green electronics or green chips because I, this is really. This is really what's at the heart is is things that don't necessarily exist right now. And we don't necessarily have a roadmap to get there right now. But there is initiatives that exist and there's partnership that are being built right now between the suppliers, so the chip manufacturers and uh, the consumers. So, for example, us or electronics companies to create these alternatives in the near future. So, Again, like to to decarbonize upstream, partnership is going to be critical. We kind of have a pilot approach for sure, because we know that today, maybe the best alternative that we would seek for and that we would need to be able to meet those drastic reduction that I talked about, particularly in a 2050 scenario when, you know, we have to have cut emissions by 90% absolute terms between 2050 and 2020, they don't exist right now. So it's, it's what can you get? But it needs to be more than incremental change. And that's really what's hard. We don't have time to necessarily go just for the little increments, the 2% better or the 5% better. It needs to be more than that. And so we really need to partner with the industries to to help birth these uh, innovations. And that's really what we're uh, doing. And on two, there's kind of two big elements. There is a business element. So we partner with suppliers to help them invest in the technologies that will help them decarbonize their offer. So, for example, we've partnered with a a few steel manufacturers on pilots. And so we make investment, either short-term investment, but we're also considering kind of long-term investment on green steel. So if you think about them, like long-term purchase agreements so that it provides a, a steady flow of capital for these manufacturers so that they can shift their production to a different to a lower carbon way of producing uh, the material. And it's also partnering really much more up- upstream with labs, with policymakers, with the whole industry to kind of create a market signal for what, what we expect is to come. 
And so, for example, we joined Responsible Steel last year, and we also joined Copper Mark, where both initiatives for respective material to create that market signal, to really aggregate the demand from a number of consumers like us, to incentivize and, and really create, yeah, create I mean, sorry, just maybe this one we need to cut, uh, but just to create the market. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, you talk about partnerships and various kinds of partnerships with various different players and different suppliers. What about the competitive dynamics or the competitive aspect of Scope 3? Is there a competitive advantage for you as an organization to achieve your Scope 3 goals? How do you relate to other players in the industry? Interesting question. I would say sustainability, and that's maybe why I love my job, is really a world of collaboration. I mean, sure, there is competition at the end of the day. I'm sure we want to be the, the first to be the most innovative in that space and to create goods that, that provide the best benefit uh, from an environmental perspective to our customers. But there's really so much that's kind of yet to, to chart that there's great collaboration between competitors and between peers and across sectors. For example, when we talked about green chips, we will have to partner with companies, for example, the electronics goods, uh, the data center industry, not just the electronic, the electronical and, and, uh, and automation software solutions. It, it will be a much broader range of companies that we'll have to partner with and that we'll have to, to work with to create this market signal. And that's very exciting. Yeah, I, I think competitive and also the, another idea from our perspective is that really the, the whole landscape is shifting and maybe sustainability was a market differentiator 10 years ago, but we expect with greater regulation, customer and investor demand that's really rising both in Europe and in the U.S., that it's just creating a level playing field at this point. And yes, there will be, I think there'll be differential if we lead with transparency, with humility, and, and if we lead with collaboration in, in mind. Because at the end of the day, it's the amount of, of CO2 that we can pull out of the atmosphere, really, that, that drives me. So that's, I think, one of the greatest pleasure of working in sustainability. It's the collaboration that we can all create. So can you tell us, Vanessa, about some of the lessons and insights in terms of dealing with upstream scope three emissions? Yeah, absolutely. So I would say there's kind of two critical pillars that, that we've developed with these SSI. It's really engaging with our suppliers. So I mentioned the the work we have with the top thousand suppliers. And in fact, it's a bit more than a thousand suppliers. And, and the intent is to grow that base uh, over time to cut their scope one and two emissions by half by 2025. And then uh, I mentioned the 50% green materials. And right now we're really focused on plastic, steel, and aluminum. But we know that obviously next there's going to be the, the full range of raw material that we purchase and there's going to be electronics, which is definitely a critical challenge uh, that, we need, that we're focusing more efforts on right now. And so the two to deploy kind of both a KPI, I'd say there's kind of two legs. There is what we can do on the design of our products and what we can do when we purchase. And we really try to work with both. Both have set of challenges. So on the design side, I would say it's really pushing the boundaries of what is eco-design 
and going for that not incremental change, but that radical change and being able to understand what are the trade-offs between increasing the performance of a product or increasing the sustainability of a product or increasing, you know, making sure we, we understand kind of how the change in material can impact safety. And obviously safety is always going to be first. So it's, it's kind of just like pushing the boundaries of all of that and equip our engineers to be able to, to seek kind of what's, what could be an alternative, more sustainable product. And this is really work in progress, but it's, it's very exciting to work on that because it's really, at the, we're really in the labs with the R&D teams, with the engineers, first onboarding them on sustainability, on why it matters, uh, what are the benefits, and also kind of really transforming the, the understanding of how a product is made and how, yeah, all these trade-offs are, are, are decided throughout uh, the design process. So that's kind of the first, like, kind of really working hard on the design side. And so we're working on, on circularity. We're working, I mean, just a, a number of, of areas there. And then the second piece is, well, you've defined the best product you can ever with the lowest carbon material you can ever from a kind of generic standpoint. And then what can you get out there in the market from your suppliers with our procurement team that's that that has the lowest impact and that's really then the partnership with our suppliers the partnership with the ecosystem to create the demand for these alternative materials so for example if a product has to be built with plastic and we do in our sector right now because just for safety uh reasons what kind of plastic can we source can we source obviously recycled would be first but can we source bio-based how can it be sourced if it's bio-based so these are really the two legs that we're working on. They not linear. They are not 50-50 depending on the product. Sometimes it's going to be much more of a design process and sometimes it's going to be much more on the supplier and purchase side that we can that, that we can make a dent on our emissions. Yeah, very, very interesting. When you talk about design, I guess at the heart of that is this question of innovation. Absolutely. There is... I think uh, it's fairly common for anyone working on sustainability that sustainability is change. And so when we talk about change management or yeah, any transformation, like if you're in a sustainability business, you have to embrace that. <laughs> it's just part, it's, it's, it, for me, it's synonymous. <laughs> it's just a, it's a, it's an oxymoron almost. <laughs> if you're talking sustainability, you're talking innovation, particularly, as I've said, there's just so much that we haven't charted that it's not like we don't have we don't have a blueprint we don't have like a playbook that you can take out there and say okay if i want to have a net zero product so meaning i reduce the absolute emission by 90% and a minimum from my product design my next generation product design from my previous generation design that's that, that just doesn't exist like you have to try iterate uh, innovate greatly and, and that's really at the heart of sustainability. Yeah, very, very exciting indeed. Can you talk a little bit about supplier engagement, Vanessa, and how you approach this, some of the challenges and what you've learned? Yeah, it's been quite a journey. In fact, this uh, zero carbon project with our suppliers. So it's kicked off, uh, I think, in April 2021. I say I think because I, I, I joined Schneider after that fairly recently. But I think it was kicked off in April 2021. 
And there's a couple step in our thinking as we engage with suppliers. There's first educate or empower suppliers to understand what are we asking? What is sustainability? What does that mean to cut your emissions, your operational emissions by half? And the second step, obviously, is 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 really then define your roadmap. And then the third step is implement your roadmap. And it took a while to even under, like know where suppliers were in that, in these steps. Were they all in the educate phase or were they some of them already in, in the developing their roadmap phase and were, were some of them already implementing changes and cutting emissions in their operations? It's not one size fits all, particularly when you think about the size of our suppliers. I and mean, even within the top thousand, there's a wide range of size of suppliers. There's also a wide range of sectors and there's a wide range of geographies. We have suppliers in really throughout the world, um, maybe 150 countries. And I think of the top thousand suppliers, we have suppliers in about 50 countries. So it's it's a wide range of policies, of incentives, of market maturity, and just of supplier maturity. So it took uh, a, a while to just kind of understand where, what is the map of our suppliers? Where do they, where do they sit and, and where do we take them? Like at what point in time do we have to work with them? I think now we have a clearer picture and it's interesting that a lot are, are definitely on the on earlier stage of, uh, of their journey or the sustainability journey. But what's fascinating is that as soon as we got them on board, it moves fast. It's been incredible to see the acceleration, I would say over the last quarter, but let's say over the last six months of uh, since we've engaged with our suppliers. It's just maybe like a two years ago or a year ago when we started the engagement, they didn't even know what scope one and two was. But now they're like ready to go. They've started investing in either energy efficiency, renewable energy, or electrification. It's it's just, it's, it's been a, a fascinating journey of acceleration, which makes me really hopeful and it's really the the theme of anyone working on on carbon reduction these days is we need to accelerate so it's it's good to see that momentum and see that acceleration building up and how do you explain that do you get a sense that is it i mean clearly you play an important role and but presumably they have stakeholders as well it sounds like a tremendous pickup and momentum yeah, that's, that's, you know, it's hard to give credit to just one actor. So I don't think we can take the whole credit uh, just because Schneider Electric started to to engage their supplier or a given supplier on sustainability. That's what make the click. I think it's it's a conjunction of factors, of course, and, and obviously regulation. Yeah, the public sector has a huge influence. Also, the investors, as we just discussed before have a have a very significant influence, but also the the consumer. So all of this plus us plus us as as not the final consumer, but the purchaser as as an influence on our supplier. I think it's also empowering suppliers. It's it's hard to start something you don't even know about or you don't know how to grasp, and so what's cool about a relationship is. We're walking the talk. We're in the middle of it. We're doing it. We're sharing what's the good and bad and ugly of sustainability. I mean, it's not easy. There's obviously a lot of stakeholders you have to onboard in a given company to make those changes, but we can talk it through. And we also have 
the power of sustainability business. So that's our that's our consulting arm that we really leverage in our in these engagement with our suppliers to help our suppliers understand what they can they can do and what's the easiest to do. The second thing is when you start your sustainability journey, hopefully you can you can pick up those low hanging fruits first and uh, have those quick wins, which I think are critical anyway for any business to start with. You need quick wins to convince your leadership that yes, this is worth it. And yes, it is possible. Because if you set targets that are too far ahead and targets are too ambitious and you can, it's hard to kind of see, to have sight of how you're going to meet them, it can demoralize everybody internally and you can lose kind of the, the, the stakeholder engagement you need internally as much as externally. In earlier episodes of the podcast, interviewees have discussed challenges arising from a lack of standards, a lack of good data systems, but also uh, they've highlighted the need to start somewhere and continue in the face of these uncertainties. Does that resonate with you, Vanessa? Uncertainty, I would say, is part of business anyway. So, you know, anyone who, who drives a business has to have a, a certain understanding of how to grasp and, and act with uncertainty. But, you know, creating uh, safe boundaries, like you, you don't just act with uncertainty, like with, you know, no, no vision. You need a vision. But I think what's really certain is the impact of climate change and what we need to do to curb climate change. These are very well known. I talked earlier of, of carbon math or carbon accounting. These are very well known carbon math problems and they're not that hard to understand. And so I think this is also what's helpful is, yes, we don't necessarily know all of the ingredients that go in the recipe, but we know what needs to happen at the end. Like I think the, the vision has been clearly set by the IPCC, Triple C, the UNFCCC, rather, uh, by the Paris Agreement, uh, by SBTI. Uh, so, you know, there's both certainty of what needs to happen and uncertainty of what exactly it takes to get there. But we also know enough to take action now. We have a lot of the technologies that can help us curb emission by at least half. I think there's greater uncertainty where you go to, you know, cutting them by 75% or by 90%. Yes, the tail, I mean, the last mile is always the hardest. But to get the world to cut emissions by half by 2030, which is what we need to do to still be on track for the Paris Agreement and for 1.5 degree scenario, that's kind of pretty well charted. There's not so much uncertainty. It's a lot of energy efficiency, a lot of renewable energy, a lot of electrification, particularly under transportation sector. So I think we have a lot of the tools in hand to to deploy and to accelerate, yeah, to accelerate the delivery of, of carbon cuts. Very optimistic and positive vision. Just finally, what's next for Schneider Electric, Vanessa, on your scope three journey? <laughs> There's a lot, but you have to also, yeah, choose your 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 bites. Uh, and I mentioned quick wins, so that's exactly I think where we are right now. Is like kind of defining okay, what's what's really next that could get us to to the next phase and move us uh, fast enough. We talked about electronics. We talked also about a broader range uh, of materials, so beyond steel, plastic, and aluminum. I think these are some of the greatest areas of opportunities on our side that we want to explore with with others. 
And I think I'm, I talked a little bit about eco design and, and how we're working with our R and D teams to really embed sustainability throughout uh, our design process. And these are, are some of the key priorities on our, on our side to really transform. It, it's a lot of, uh, yeah, I mentioned change management earlier. It's a lot of change management and kind of behavior change internally from a whole range of stakeholders that maybe were not as involved in the sustainability discussions before. And for me, it's an amazing sign to see that at Schneider, everyone embrace and speak sustainability and everyone wants to speak even more fluent or more literate sustainability. I feel suspicious of a of a company that would have a sustainability department that kind of sits on the side and is not in and in working with its R&D and its uh, operational and business departments. And that's that's really what what's so fantastic about Schneider is it's it's really embarking the whole company on that journey. It's not just, hey, there is a sustainability team here that does the work after the work. It's, it's no, it's from day one, from everything we do, we embed sustainability. And so it's continuing kind of to, to deepen, to deepen that, uh, to embed it further by pushing people to, to always think a bit beyond and not just in incremental ways. That's, that's going to be priority number one. And then priority number two is going to be to continue looking at green materials, whether it's uh, they don't exist, like such as green electronics, or whether they they're nascent. And so, how do we develop them and develop the markets? These will continue to be the the two legs, uh, I think, of our of our sustainability. I mean, of our scope three strategy. Then, if we talk about sustainability, I think I have other things to say. But... Well, that's a great vision, Vanessa. And I wish you the very best of success with your ongoing work. And thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you for listening to the Scope 3 Agenda podcast with EcoVadis. We hope you found it interesting. And would love if you could share with your colleagues and leave a review. If you would like to find out more about EcoVadis, please visit ecovadis.com.